Let's go. You're listening to Making Data Simple, where we make the world of data effortless, relevant, and yes, even fun. Hey, podcast listeners, Al Martin here. Uh, welcome back. The world seems a bit brighter today, and it's probably because I've got a great guest on for today. It's Wendy Gonzalez. Wendy is the CEO of Sama. Let me give you a little brief introduction, and then I'll turn it over to, to Wendy herself. Sama is a leading provider of accurate data for ambitious AI. Hopefully, Wendy, you'll explain what ambitious AI means. They're trusted by the world's leading technology companies, such as Walmart, Google, Getty, NVIDIA. They specialize in image and video and sensor data annotation and validation, and pretty much across all industries, as far as I can tell. She has two decades of managerial and technology leadership experience from companies including Ernst & Young, Capgemini, Cycle30, and General Communications and Company. And she is also an active board member of Leela Jonah Foundation. Welcome, Wendy. I appreciate you being on the, the podcast, taking your time today so we can have a chat. Great to be here, Al. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I kind of gave the LinkedIn version of Wendy Gonzalez. Can you give us a, a little history, some of your experience, and what brings you here? I joined Sama about six years ago in 2015. Prior to that, I co-founded an IoT startup where we were building a SaaS application to manage connected devices. And then before that, over 20 plus years of experience in enterprise technology and SaaS, really working with and building new technology, what I've been doing for the past 25 plus years. And as I was getting our, ourselves into a, a good position with the last IoT startup, I was really intrigued um, about this company called Sama because not only was Sama working and one of the pioneers uh, working in training data for AI, which I'll explain in a little bit more detail, but Sama also has a mission to hire people in underserved communities, uh, pay living wages, and this notion of taking purposeful action and having you know business uh, really for social good was something that was super intriguing to me. It sounds like you've got the best of both worlds. You've got tech and you've got a social cause that's close to your heart. That's exactly right. It's hard to beat. So you're in, in San Francisco. Is that what I understand? Yes. Uh, based in the Bay Area and have been here for about, let, gosh, I want to say the last like 12, 13 years now. Where are you originally from? I'm originally from Seattle, so not too far away. <laughs> so you just went south. Exactly. <laughs> Great. How does a CEO run a company from inside uh, their bedroom? That's what I want to know. Boy, I got to tell you, uh, being remote and and honestly, we've we've nearly doubled the size of our staff. Doing that all remotely, where I haven't seen a number of my direct reports and met people, has been challenging. But you know, there's a lot of real silver lining to it as well. I think that you know, getting into this virtual mode really forced us to be super disciplined about meeting, connecting. Um, communicating. So that's kind of really what I've been heavily focused on is, you know, like weekly communications, mm -hmm. um, lots of syncs to make sure that we're rowing in the um, same direction. So it's been a really, really um, kind of productive, gosh, like over zoomed, uh, if you will, yeah. <laughs> last uh, 15 months. But I got to tell you, I'm super, super excited to see my colleagues and my teammates in person. I have to tell you, I'm the same way. I'm kind of ready for it to be over. But on the other hand, uh, to your earlier point, there are also a lot of families that got to know each other again. I hope we don't go back from at least that benefit 
from what we saw from COVID. I'll remember the first time when COVID happened, you know, everybody was at home. The, the kids were outside playing again here. You know, I'm in Kansas City, so they were in the yards. Now, they're away from everybody else, but they're in the yards. And then they were starting to use trails in the woods and stuff. All that's already grown back up now. Back to uh, organized sports in Kansas City here, and that's ancient history. I'm going to miss that. It went back to when I was a kid, and now it's gone again. I'm with you 100%. I mean, I've got a 15-year-old, a 12-year-old, and a 10-year-old. And the 15-year-old and 12, they were they were home, which is incredible. And yeah, we were playing outside. We rediscovered, you know, running, playing soccer in the park, hiking, exactly. Uh, so I'm with you. Uh, but that is, it's interesting that you're, you're based in Kansas City. So um, I did consulting for the first decade of my career, and I spent over two years in Kansas City and Overland Park. Love the area. It's a great, well, great area. Thank you for that. I, well, I love San Francisco, especially the food. Man. So let's go back to, to Sama here. You talked about the mission statement. Could you outline the mission statement and then also outline what drives the company? Basically, uh, we believe that talent is distributed equally, but opportunity is not. And the best way to break the poverty cycle is by purposely hiring people in underserved communities, providing them training, uh, digital skills, living wages, um, full-time you know, employment and benefits. And that that really is the key to building both the skills that can carry them forward in, um, in jobs and, and really create you know, income uh, that is long lasting. It's a purposeful hiring model to where we recognize we are a bridge employer, meaning hiring people who, who've never gotten a, a shot to work before. And um, that level of purpose takes some real, I should say, uh, focus. But what ends up happening is that it's incredible because not only do we have amazingly talented people who work in our, our workforces in um, East Africa, but the retention and the skills that the teams build are absolutely incredible. It's a, it's a core part of um, you know who we are, and it, it's something that I, I you know always really like an opportunity to encourage that you know creating transparency in your hiring. Really, the the notion of kind of an ethical supply chain is is something that's really important, and I would strongly encourage really anybody who's making buying decisions that with your dollars you can make a difference in the world. So say that again. Did you say your workforce is in East Africa? That's right. We purposely hire in underserved communities, fifty percent women and fifty percent youth in households that are making less than two dollars a day, which is the World Bank standard for poverty. So, but do you have worldwide, or is it? Like 80% in East Africa or the all East Africa? Data labeling operations are all in East Africa, which is uh, Kenya and Uganda. Uh, And then our uh, staff, you know, our salespeople, you know, research and development engineers, product people, et cetera, um, are really kind of all over the world. But we are focused um, with hubs in San Francisco, uh, Montreal, Canada, uh, Costa Rica, as well as the Netherlands near Amsterdam. So back to where we started, I mean, I'm probably going a little bit everywhere. We'll, we'll get to everything, I promise. But how in the heck do you hire? In the, I mean, if you're hiring in uh, East Africa, I presume you have hiring managers there, but I don't know how you get started. I mean, can you talk just a little bit about that? You're getting the right people in? Because I did read a lot about the company. It talks about having, getting the right people in. It also mentioned the number of diversity candidates you have, et cetera. So it seems to be working out fantastic. You could give a lesson just on hiring, I think, in this podcast. It's been a really, really interesting ride. And yeah, I, I would say that hiring is certainly one of our superpowers. But yeah, we, we made investments um, years ago, about a decade ago, to establish operations um, in, in Nairobi, Gulu, and Kampala. So Nairobi, Kenya, Gulu, uh, and Kampala, Uganda. And um, yes, yeah, so we have 
large offices, of course, staff, you know, hiring managers, you know, finance people, project managers, you name it. It's been, um, I think, really one of the things that we've we've learned a lot, especially with the purposeful hiring model that we have is really is not only is the talent incredible, but it does take, you know, effort to hire in this manner. So we, we have a lot of metrics that we track from an impact standpoint. So we have a 50% women um, focus mm-hmm. and we bring everybody in doing um, both equal pay and, and we've built some really world-class uh, training capabilities, um, a world-class platform that all really help get our workforce up to speed quickly. And, you know, we're specialized, we focus on training data. And so we have what's typically done by sort of a crowd workforce. So that's oftentimes how um, companies get their training data is they're sometimes called sort of ghost workers, but you know, people who you don't know who they are, they get limited instructions. What we end up having is we have data labeling experts um, who are trained on our platform, who have done, you know, hundreds of workflows and in, in autonomous vehicles and then, you know, augmented and virtual reality. So while it takes some investment up front, um, the result is amazing because these workers um, and this workforce are, are expert labelers. Do you mind if I ask how, how big is the company? We're getting uh, pretty sizable here, so um, I think I can share this. We are a private company, of course, but mm-hmm. we're working with some of the most amazing companies in the world that I think you just mentioned. And then, yes, we have kind of a headquarters staff and then a workforce in East Africa. And maybe that might be a good actually transition into sort of what we do, which might... <laughs> yeah, the one question I was going to ask is, so what problem is Sama really solving? What's your claim to fame, your sweet spot, your secret sauce, and then... What is not Sama? I mean, if you could explain that. Absolutely. So I'll uh, I'll share kind of our secret sauce and then maybe put a little context around it. So we are a leading training data platform. What that really means is that uh, what we do is we power um, artificial intelligence applications. All machine learning is basically based off of recognizing patterns in data. So you can kind of think of, and you might've heard this before, you can kind of think of data as the new code because basically these machine learning models, they need to learn how to both uh, detect and identify the data so that they can then begin to build intelligence and recognize things. So for example, we work with a lot of autonomous vehicles, a lot of uh, self-driving car companies. And before the software in a car can actually learn how to drive, it needs to recognize pedestrians drivable space, lanes, traffic signs. You can kind of get the the pictures, other cars. And then at that point in time, once it's able to detect it, then it can determine, do I slow down? Do I stop if it's a stop sign? So what we provide in training data is really the structured data, like images or videos, for example, of, of road scenes and cars, so that we can feed them back to our clients and they can build their end AI applications. Are you really focused on images and videos? That's your focus area? Or do you expand beyond that? We do expand beyond that. So really what our focus is, is, is um, what I describe as the entire um, AI data pipeline. When you're developing AI applications, data is required really at every single stage of the funnel. So you, you really can't start anything without having data. Everything from data collection up front to the preparation, because data comes in all sorts of different formats. Every new sensor that comes out, that data needs to be transformed. Then you actually need to structure the data, which is data labeling. And then once the models are trained, you need to be able to ingest more data, tune it. You need model analytics and benchmarking, which is, again, all data. Uh, And then finally, to maintain um, AI, you have to continue to refresh it with data because as more data is processed in, there may be new and edge 
kind of use cases. So data is really central to this entire process. And that's, that's really what we do is we manage that end-to-end -end data pipeline. The types of data that we support are pretty much every type of data. So while we have a, a lot of depth in um, video and image, there's also you know 3D point cloud, so LiDAR um, and, and 3D point cloud data, um, as well as text. Um, so we have a natural language processing offering as well. I got it. How does this though tie back into the work with social? I mean, where's the connection? I'm sure, you know, your listeners know, right? I mean, artificial intelligence is, it's, it's about as intelligent as the data you build it on. And because AI is really trying to, you know, kind of replicate human behavior, some level of human context is needed to be able to get to that sort of last bit of accuracy. Because with AI, it's really, it's a garbage in, garbage out. If you have, you know, highly complex scenes and, and those complex scenes are only, say, 95, you know, 94, 93, 95% accuracy, you may not be able to operate something like your self-driving car. So where we leverage our labelers in East Africa is they are our humans in the loop. So we have a platform, we have machine learning models that basically automate as much of the labeling process as possible. And our labeling workforce both trains the models that we build to create the labels, but they also help you know address uh, quality assurance as well as label anything that can't be labeled automatically. All right, so let me see if I get this straight. The workforce that you have, I mean, you've got your data scientists, your data engineers, or creating models, and then you've got those, like, by example, in East Africa, it doesn't matter where they are, but they're driving simulations and they're also labeling the data to make it one source of the truth, or at least to clean that data and make it uh, accurate. Is that correct? That is correct. They are helping really both build our automated labeling models as well as labeling and quality sharing the the work uh, that's delivered automatically. Here's my question around that. I mean, I do have a lot of experience in, in AI. I mean, a lot of times when you work with, like if I work with any company, a lot of times the labels are best known by the company itself. Meaning if if somebody is doing an AI algorithm and machine learning within IBM, like we have more three-letter acronyms than anybody else on the planet, I think. If you came in, it's like almost like a foreign language. I mean, how are those folks best trained to label outside of the company? Or, I mean, how does that work? Um, one of the other key components is really about uh, basically quality definition and what I describe as a quality rubric. So you're absolutely right. The, the clients themselves, they know what application they're building, right? So they want to interpret their data in a specific way. So typically what happens, and this is one of the things that we've, you know, built from a decade of experience is that we we know what good looks like. So we have a very um, specific methodology we go through to help work with a client to define their quality rubric. So we understand how they want things labeled, what the taxonomy looks like, what the business rules and kind of logic and condition look like. And then uh, we leverage our machine learning models. So we use machine learning ourselves to automate as much of the labeling um, as possible based off of those business rules. And then uh, we kind of leverage the the um, humans in the loop to to quality assure and, and sort of address edge cases uh, and, and retrain our labeling models as new edge cases come up. Now, when you were talking about your connection to social programs, is that mostly in the workforce and how the company Sama conducts itself? Or do you largely only accept like social causes in terms of uh, what you work with, uh, the solutions that you're driving, or does that matter? We definitely, from an operating model standpoint, have our purposeful hiring model. We have measured and tracked our 
our impact um, to, to date. Super excited to say that we've moved um, all, over 55,000 people out of poverty since we were founded. Um, so that's something that we track and, and manage every quarter. We have impact criteria. Um, in fact, if there's an opportunity to talk about later, you know, we, we've also spent time getting a lot of independent validation of our impact. In terms of, you know, how does that affect the, the types of customers we work with? Well, you know, AI, is, as you well know, is is everywhere. So we work with clients in a variety of different verticals from consumer and tech to retail, you know, to, to, to automotive and medical devices and, you know, robotics, et cetera. So, um, you know, our, our, I would say that we, we find special, um, you know, kind of uh, appreciation when we can work with, um, you know, companies who are doing AI for good. So we've done some incredible stuff. One fun project I'll mention is is uh, one with Vulcan. So uh, Vulcan is an incredible company. Um, they were working to build an anti-poaching of elephants software that was enabled by drones. As you can imagine, uh, you know the uh, sub-Saharan Africa where many of the elephants live, like that is like literally tens of thousands, you know, millions of acres, right? right. Almost impossible for rangers to go and get ahead of of sort of scouring the entire land and get ahead of poachers. So Vulcan had this brilliant idea of building these drones that could cover massive amounts of land. When these computer vision drones detected poaching behavior, they will signal the rangers to go and take action. So we uh, helped train that computer vision program by tagging elephant butts, fires, and, you know, like cars in strange places. So it was an absolutely incredible uh, project. Just so you know, that's how you identify unique Ellen is like the size and shape of uh, the elephant button tail. Wow. I, so if nothing else, I've learned something today right now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's their uh, thumbprint, so to speak, I guess. <laughs> yes. Yes. Unique identifier. Some will take on any company that's looking to better train data, leveraging your expertise in AI and data labeling experts and your crowd workforce. Is that correct? Our workforce is not a crowd. So that's the one thing on note, right? A crowd is, you know, people getting paid sort of cents on the dollar uh, who, who come in um, and, and off of a platform. Yep. Part of our purposeful hiring models, it's employment. This is our workforce. They're vertically integrated. They're experts in our platform and, and we pay living wages and benefits. So um, that's the big key there. But yeah, I mean, we, we are focused in a number of verticals and uh, we, you know, it, it's, it's always incredible when we can work with um, a kind of mission aligned companies, which we find that, you know, I mean, that pretty much means the Fortune 2000 <laughs> and many companies below, yeah. you know, when they're when they're making their choices and kind of voting with their dollars, um, you know, appreciate the, um, you know, transparency and um, and quite frankly, the social impact. Can you hit a couple more of those statistics that you were talking about earlier that the impact that you have made? Yeah, so we have moved over 55,000 people out of poverty. On average, uh, we are moving in. Th these are some really, really interesting stats. And what that, what that means is not only are we paying living wages. So every year um, in the locations we work in, we do a living wage audit. And so living wage isn't about being paid minimum wage. It's about being paid enough to support your family with safe housing, you know, healthy foods, a percentage of savings, et cetera. And so we measure that in each of the different countries that we work in. We actually pay that, including benefits, insurance, provide professional and personal um, development. So that is part of our, um, our approach and model. And when we say we've moved over 55,000 people out of poverty to date, that really means them, their uh, dependents, um, because we immediately drive on average in over four, in some cases, five to six X increase in income. 
And uh, the vast majority of our workforce prior to SAMA has been working, either is unemployed or is working in the informal economy. So informal economy, meaning, you know, like having a stand, selling snacks or uh, clothes, uh, things of that nature. Are you working with governments or municipalities to, to help them do what you're doing? So we certainly are very active in our communities you know, visibility to the work that we're doing. But I mean, we, we are a company. So no, we, we don't have sort of a formalized kind of public-private partnership. Not just yet. That makes sense. No, I understand. I got to believe the loyalty in your company is through the roof. Our retention rates are like amazing. <laughs> They're definitely like uh, world-class. We had, I think, less than 4% voluntary annualized attrition. And in this kind of work, that's like insane. I mean, it's typically a revolving door, but these jobs are meaningful. Uh, we focus a lot on per, you know personal and professional development, and it's something that makes our business better. You know? It's like they say people don't leave families, they leave jobs, right? They're not going to leave you if they think, well, this person's taking care of me. I, I got to see them tomorrow. We got to have that. Let me go back to the root of Sama, if I could. I want to be clear and get from you kind of that sweet spot. How would you describe the technology that separates you from others? As I was kind of touching on before, Data is required at every point in the AI development lifecycle. It's like you can't even start an effort without it, but there's a lot of friction that occurs between each of those stages. Sama is really the single platform to be able to manage that entire data lifecycle. And I like to think of this, this is a very silly way to put it, but I like to think of this as the easy button for data scientists, because ultimately at the end of the day, you want to get extremely high accuracy data. You want to get quickly at scale and without a lot of work on the data science end, because you know their job is to build the application, not to pre-process or transform the data, not to identify what data they need, and certainly not to label the data itself. It's a it's a high intensity effort, and so that's really been our our focus has been on building a platform that not only um, streamlines the process throughout the development lifecycle, but most importantly has been built on a foundation of accuracy, because it truly is garbage in and garbage out. I'll talk a little bit about our patented in technology and sort of how we've approached it. Um, but it, it's actually, Al, a really good tie-in to our impact mission. Mm-hmm. A lot of uh, you know companies do is they try to find a way to sort of automate everything. And when you take a very broad brush approach, it's kind of like a sledgehammer looking for a nail. Uh, the approach that we've taken is basically something we call the micromodel architecture, which is containerizing and making small um, micro machine learning models to drive super high accuracy labeling. And we've basically built this entire library and universe of these micro models that are used uh, again and again for our various different customers. It's it's really about getting to precision. So for example, you know, I, I like to use the, the self-driving car. There's a million examples, but the self-driving car one is a really, I think, kind of an uh, easy to, to understand one. There are lots of companies building self-driving cars. Some companies, they want the annotation to be a precision bounding box around the, you know, putting a square around the exact points of the the vehicle. Another company may want a polygon, which is an outline of the actual vehicle itself. Some may want the side view mirrors. Some may want the antenna. (laughs) Some may want the shadow under the car. I could go on and on, but you kind of get the point is that even though they're building the same end application, the use cases are super distinct and disparate. And so by creating a higher fidelity, smaller precision model, we're able to get to accuracy through automation much faster because with the massive volumes of data that need to be created, um, doing this all with uh, you know manual labeling would be super high costly, but most importantly, wouldn't scale. 
we've kind of done something really unique where we've kind of flipped the model on its head. Competitors try to automate everything and then they use their humans in the loop to kind of fix everything afterwards. Mm -hmm. What we found is that uh, through a lots of instrumentation um, and years throughout with our system is that it can take almost as much time to fix a bad automated label as it is to do it manually. Our approach has been get it right the first time. And we use our expert labeling force in East Africa to basically help train these micro models, build them into our library, and then basically as these models are deployed at our different client sites, we're able to get the best of both worlds, which is super high accuracy at scale in a very cost-effective manner. So we really kind of have leveraged our humans loop as the experts who train our machines, not who manually fix outputs. So are these micro models reusable or are they unique then? I mean, are they like a library that you can leverage and, you know, key off on and use to accelerate an implementation or you say, no, 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 they're really unique in each use case? Oh, you got it exactly right. It's the former. So we have a library of them that are reusable. Um, and if we have tweaks that need to be made for a customer, we can take our baseline models and uh, for, for lack of a better word, do a save as and make tweaks. <laughs> but yes, the library is uh, is reusable and um, it's, it's one of our core differentiators because you can build bespoke models, but that only gets you so far. These are really productized machine learning micro models. I got it. What microservices are, are you built on top of? This is our own proprietary uh, architecture. So we've built our own automated data pipeline. Uh, the the approach I mentioned is all, you know, it's patented, it's unique. People aren't doing this in machine learning right now. But I mean, of course, we don't do everything, right? Like we, you know, we leverage the cloud. <laughs> so we, we haven't tried to build our own, you know, AWS or anything like that. And I think one of the things that is really, um, you know, key to the approach we've taken is that, like, we recognize that, like, MLOps plays a really important role in this. So we're not trying to, to replicate those components. We're really trying to address the data layer. So if you've got, you know, a Databricks that's, that's you know, identifying that, hey, your model is drifting as an example, our job in that is really to take that information, identify what needs to be retrained, and drive the data component of it. Can you wrap that all up in terms of what does an engagement, a typical engagement look like from essentially inception to the outcome impact? And you did talk about recurring revenue, so this must be an engagement that keeps on giving, uh, but there's gotta be an inception to outcome that uh, reinforces the value your company brings and, and leads to that reoccurring revenue. For one, you know, our focus is really working with companies where AI is a core part of their product or differentiator. So, you know, once you invest in AI, you have to maintain it. You need to kind of hold its hand or else the model will degrade and it will stop working, right? Great example is Walmart, one of our clients, right? Their products, they have this massive catalog. Their products are changing all the time, right? If you don't refresh and, and kind of retrain those AI models, then, you know, you, you wouldn't be able to find products over mm -hmm. time, right? So... One is that, you know, there is absolutely need for, for long ongoing needs for, for data, both in terms of kind of model maintenance and optimization, as well as, of course, building research and actually building the, the AI uh, applications itself. Because we have this uh, very strong reputation for accuracy, that's really the key because AI has a super long tail, as you well know, right? I mean, the more data you ingest, the more edge cases that are found. So our ability to deliver high accuracy labeled data throughout that life cycle is really the key to our stickiness. So yes, I mean, basically very similar to kind of a SaaS platform, we will have a trial, um, you know, on our platform, we will uh, begin driving um, 
the, the labeled data at scale. We often do data preparation for our clients as well as model maintenance as well in terms of managing the refreshing um, of models once they're in the, the training data refresh aspect of, of models that have gone into production. Um, we end up in, you know, sort of, you know, minimum commitment subscription, um, you know, contracts to where, you know, we're providing a minimum amount of data to our clients on a monthly basis. I got to believe, and I'd like you to say just a couple comments. I mean, in terms of keeping the model accurate in production, so to speak, is one of the most difficult things to do and probably the biggest challenge that most companies have and, and the frustration with AI. As soon as you put it, the model out there, it can become stale or inaccurate. Uh, so you've got to have some kind of drift and or bias detection built in. Is that is that part of your patent too? Do you Or do you leverage that externally? I mean, say a bit about that. We do bias detection. So one of the things we invested on very early on in our platform is the complete instrumentation of everything. So we know every action that's taken in the platform uh, where, and that's how we tell like, hey, is the model degrading? Or, hey, like we know all the data that's in our platform right now. Is there something that is really underrepresented, overrepresented, et cetera, right? So I know sometimes often people think of bias as like, you know, with, you know, skin color. I mean, that absolutely is a, a format, but, but data bias can be anything, right? And, you know, if you're building a self-driving car and you have an underrepresentation of motorcycles, then your data is biased, right? So that's kind of the way we look at is we, you know, being able to, to understand uh, in, in all cases, you know, do we have a representative and effective set of data? Is the model drifting? Is it no longer producing accurate labels because new data has been ingested and how, how to really proactively manage that? So that's really the instrumentation I was talking about and how we've invested in that space. Very good. How do uh, most clients find their way to you? Is it your story, which is very unique and I think is very exciting uh, as well? Good for you. It, you know, I guess the second part of that question is when should clients be thinking about Sama? I would say that uh, we it used to be a lot through kind of you know rep, reputation and networking. Yep. Certainly, uh, you know, over the course of the last few years, we've you know put a lot more energy in our you know kind of getting our name out there. And so ultimately, at the end of the day, it's really people looking to solve their data problem is, you know, people either find us on our website or we are out, you know, kind of publications and um, reaching out to, to clients who are making real investments into, into machine learning and AI. That's typically has happened. I would say that the social mission, which is, I mean, it's just the way that we operate. Um, it's something that we believe in deeply. Um, I would say it's, you know, a lot of times it's the cherry on the Sunday, you know, um, what always gets us there is our platform and the quality of our, our data. Um, but at the end of the day, I think there's a, a really great level of goodwill when when people know that, you know, work, working with us are also making a difference in the world. So that part of it has been has been awesome. Yeah, nicely done, Wendy, um, and to your team. How did Sama get started? Can you talk to that? You've been involved since the in inception, correct? Joined in 2015, so I've been um, been at Sama for over six years. But yeah, really interesting. Our founder is incredible. Um, you mentioned the Lila Jonah Foundation that I sit on the board of. Lila founded the company in 2008, and we do have a really interesting story. We were actually originally founded as a nonprofit um, because of the social mission. The idea behind what we uh, did um, and what we do to to really leverage this platform to drive both you know employment as well as transformation in technology. We've always been a technology-centered company, always product-centered first, uh, really from the inception. Just way back then, a lot of traditional, you know, kind of investors and financing thought it was a bit of a crazy idea. <laughs> I was like, you want to do what? Where? 
the easiest way for Lila to get this started was initially through um, through a grant. So that's how we launched. Uh, but as I said, like this, you know, kind of revenue dri- generating impact and, you know, leveraging technology to to drive this, you know, big market demanded um, uh, product. That was really the intent from the beginning. So we you know, found ourselves in a situation where we're like, holy cow, we're scaling massively. We need the, you know, the capital to be able to grow because more growth means more impact. And we made a transition to for-profit. It's very interesting. You know, we kept all of our um, roots um, in the mission and we're actually uh, one of only two AI companies that are B Corp certified and certainly the only one in this space. Nice. Are, are you venture capitalist funded then now or? Yes, we are VC funded. Nice. I'm reserved in answering this question. We, you don't have to answer, but I, I did notice, you know, I've done my research that very unfortunately, I think your founder may have passed away. Can you talk about that a little bit in terms of the leadership of the company? Because it doesn't look like you've missed a beat in terms of what she has set up honoring her legacy. Yeah, I, I really appreciate you sharing that. Yes, our founder, my yeah business partner, I, I joined, Lila hired me. Uh, I was deeply... Uh, not only just impressed with the boldness of her vision, but uh, really, you know, what this company stood for. She um, was an incredible visionary. And so, yeah, I I joined her when we were a nonprofit back in 2015. And she said, like, Wendy, let's really build this business together. Let's make it scale it, build it, be fully earned revenue. And so I um, was really honored to be able to join her on that journey. It still breaks my heart because she's such a um, bright light in the world. Uh, But yes, she, she was diagnosed with a very aggressive form of cancer not long after we raised our series a gosh ten, nine months nine months later um just before covid she she passed away that was certainly um pretty devastating from a personal standpoint but we've been you know on the business side I and mean, i think that you know the teams came together we feel so strongly about carrying forward her vision and the mission of this company and i i mean the team has been incredible we came together really feeling like it's an honor, you know, to be able to, to sort of see her vision through. And, you know, we took that all the way through COVID, which was really challenging. And we ended up with a growth year, really, really strong results, and we're carrying that momentum forward. So, you know, I know that um, this world is not as bright a place without Lila, but I positive she is smiling down on us. Well, I'm so sorry for your loss, but to your last point, I think you are carrying on her legacy as far as I can tell. And uh, looking through the information that that I've I've researched, uh, doing her justice and very well. I think she'd be proud of the team. Good for you. So, look, is there anything that I didn't ask that you wish I would have asked? You asked an incredible breadth of questions. So uh, you did an amazing job, Al. Um, I'd probably just you know land you know by saying that managing and and having a high accuracy um, data pipeline is the key to being able to launch and applications faster, better, and without good data, you don't have good products. So it's a really critical component. Um, oftentimes, you know, companies start efforts and projects. One of the things that is is not as well understood is what this kind of data strategy is. So really excited to, you know, continue to build out more platform capabilities to make this process easier for our clients and our partners, and super excited to carry forward the social mission and to ensure that while we're transforming the world through technology. We're also transforming lives one at a time. A good summary. I got to ask you one question on the last one. See, I've always got more questions. <laughs> <That's> how, <it laughs> how much time do you spend, if, if you get in an engagement 
what percentage is spent on the data pipeline versus the models themselves? Really, the way that we kind of look at our um, kind of, you know, humans in the loop is that um, they are the ones who are helping, you know, build our models and drive forward the products. They're really an integrated product part of our product development lifecycle. The more models we build, the smarter the platform gets. Our labeling operation is, is really a big part behind building our models and our model libraries. And then, of course, we have a super, super talented team of R&D engineers and uh, researchers who are building out the automated components of the platform, like the automated data pipeline, like the instrumentation that I was mentioning earlier. But I got to believe that you're spending like 80% or more just to get the pipeline square when you go into an engagement. So to your point, when that is healthy, then you can move on and, and you're able to drive the models and the labeling. Is that accurate or no? Well, you know, it's, it's a lot of companies. So it, by, by data pipeline, I, I kind of think of it as like following the end to end life cycle. A lot of companies, especially those that are you know, like, whether it's self-driving cars or devices, et cetera, have their, um, or internet companies have their mm -hmm. own data. There's a little less on the data collection side. Data collection is certainly um, a component of it. And we do address data collection as well. Usually they're coming in with their own data. The challenge is, is then exactly sort of how do you take that, like determine, well, okay, I've got tons of terabytes of data. What data do I actually need to train my model? So it's really that kind of identification and classification. Second, before I can even know what's in my data, how do I actually get it into a format that's even visible, right? So that's kind of the data transformation and preparation component. Then it's classification and indexing. Then the big bulk of effort is in that labeling uh, work, right? Which is, okay, now I know that I've got these 100,000 images that need to be labeled. Then they, they typically have to be transformed back into some format to the client before the client starts tuning and developing their models of which then you spin out a whole bunch of additional uh, sort of data requirements. And the loop just kind of, you know, it's, it's a highly iterative loop. So yeah, I mean, it, it really kind of is that whole life cycle. When I look at the life cycle, it's the whole life cycle you mentioned, but when I was took, looking at some of the pipeline, I'm thinking cleansing the data. How much time do you really spend cleansing it to make sure that you got, it's not duplicated. It's not in the gathering or, or the collecting, but it's actually in the governing and making sure you know what you got. So you're yeah. making the right decision. Yeah, that's what we call that sort of data prep part, right? Yep. So once you kind of transform the data into a format that you can kind of read it and understand what's in there, then like, I mean, yeah, I mean, oftentimes, you know, you may have like, like I said, like terabytes of, of road data, but half of it doesn't have any cars in it. So like, why would you even bother annotating that, right? So it is a lot about that sort of identification and detection. And then um, from that, you understand not only what do I need to continue to train on based off of where I am in my model development and what am I missing? So yes, that is a big chunk of time. And a lot of time data scientists look back to, uh, to, to us to help them do that because otherwise they're doing it themselves, right? When they should, when their time is more valuable spent on building the end application. Fantastic. Do you mind if I ask you just a few leadership questions before you go? Sure. Absolutely, Al. All right. First question. <laughs> You're CEO now a lot of responsibility. What are the skills that you've taken that you think are maybe the top three skills that make you a great CEO? I'll say one that's a very, like a no brainer for me, which is hire people that are smarter than me. That is absolutely been one of my core focuses for, for quite some time uh, in, in my career, but truly I do believe in uh, diverse talent and that could be um, diverse, uh, not only in the way they think that may be different for me, their backgrounds, you know, ethnicity, gender, et cetera. And that it's really important that you can find people who will challenge and really drive to the best possible idea. 
The second I would say is really around um, focus. And the third is communication. From a focus standpoint, uh, what's been incredibly important is to articulate what is that thing or series of things. And I, I try to keep things simple. Like, so for example, we have company objectives and key results is the sort of methodology we use to sort of drive our, our annual strategy. I like to keep it simple with just three big company objectives that everybody can get their heads wrapped around. And then you let the smart people do their jobs. So once you've established what those that, that sort of core focus is, uh, of your strategy, and this is of course, you know, uh, knowing that you know visioning is a core part of the job, but then you communicate and you let the super smart people do their work. When you do that, you're in great shape. Great answer. Any habits or routines that you adhere to on a regular basis? I try to make sure that I have a, a bit of clear time in the morning to really set myself up for the day. And then another trick that's been really helpful is just giving yourself just a few minutes of time for context switching. Focus, really being kind of present and putting yourself in the, with the right mindset, I think is really, really critical. And then the other component I would say is, um, and while this does take, you know, uh, sort of time and investment, it's to meet with people and to listen. Being a good listener is huge. Good advice. What do you do in your free time? Or what do you work for? Or where do you lose time? Because you're having uh, having fun. Oh, we're a super avid outdoor family. So I just came back from a, a week of hiking and fishing and, and rafting up in Yellowstone. Um, nice. Avid, avid skiers and snowboarders, runners, you you name it. Love camping. So that and um, wine. Wine. <laughs> oh, I, we're best friends now. Wine. So you find your way to Napa occasionally, I would imagine. Oh yes, we go all over. That's like that's one of my favorite vacations outside of outdoor stuff. Is as any new wine region or our old favorites like Paso and Napa and Walla Walla and Willamette Valley. I mean, you you name it. Um, huge fans of of wine because you know it's uh, amazing. It changes all the time, and there are some incredible artists out there. Yeah, I, uh, we we are like minded in that. Give, give me one winery, your your favorite winery. If I was to Go to California. Doesn't have to be in Napa, Sonoma, just wherever it is. What would you say? Hey, you got to visit this one. I will share a winery that um, we have just gone to very recently that we just absolutely love in a wine region we love, which is um, down in Santa Barbara and Los Olivos. Um, one of our favorite Pinot Noirs we've been drinking a ton of recently is this amazing winery called Brewer Clifton. Brewer Clifton. Okay. Brewer Clifton. You should check them out. They do incredible stuff. That's what we've been drinking a lot of recently. There are too many to name. Yeah, well, <laughs> That's the entire podcast in itself. <laughs> well, we should do that. All right. Very good. Hey, last question. You know, I got to stop at some point. I could keep going. A book, your favorite book to recommend? Two recent books. The most recent business book was um, Turning the Flywheel. So it's a great, you know, yeah. classic follow on to good to great. Um, and it provides, I think, some really great inspiration. Uh, and then a regular book is this book called The Omnivore's Dilemma. Which really talks about food, hunting, gathering, and you know how you grow food and biology. Oh, those are good recommendations. Wendy, you're fabulous. Look, I've learned a lot. Data is the new code. You got micro models that are reusable. We talked about the easy button for the data scientist. Talked about the data pipeline. And then we finished up with uh, hiring people that are smarter than you, focusing, and strong communication. And that's just a sample. Nicely done. Thank you so much for being here. Absolutely. It was my pleasure. It was a lot of fun, Al. Thank you so much for having me on. 
Anytime and every time. Everybody, thank you for listening. Hit us on almartintalksdata at gmail.com. We're glad to have you here. Let us know who else you'd like to hear from and or what topics. We'll certainly listen and we'll get them on. Thanks, and I'll see you on the podcast. Thanks for listening to the Making Data Simple podcast, where we make data fun. Be sure to visit ibmbigdatahub.com forward slash podcasts to access the show notes and uncover even more great episodes. Remember, the views expressed here are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily represent the views of IBM. Until next time, let's go over and out.